swing and a drive, deep to left center field, going, going, goodbye baseball! This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss, strike three, that's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle, oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, she's a reporter for the Detroit Tigers. It's Daniela Bruce, and you can follow her on Twitter at Daniela Bruce underscore. And Daniela, really appreciate you hopping on here on Extra Innings tonight. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me on. Excited for a little Mariners-Tigers action this weekend. Yeah, these two teams have had a kind of a similar path to their records right now. Both teams coming into this weekend series, having had a much better May than April. Uh, For the Mm -hmm. Tigers, what has been the key to success over the last 10 or so days for them? Because April, they got off to the slow start, but here they are clawing their way back to 500. Well, their bats have turned on a little bit, and that's up and down the lineup. You're seeing guys like Javi Baez. He was pulled from a game in mid-April in Toronto for a mental mistake on defense, and ever since that game, something has sparked in him where he is not only playing defense spectacularly, he is doing really well at the plate, hitting 321 in the last 15 games with eight RBIs. So that's up and down the lineup, though. Like I said, Zach McKinstry, Andy Abanez, who looks like a really good pickup, is 314 in his last 15 with 11 hits when he got off to a slow start after getting the call up. Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, two of the biggest names that Tigers fans are excited about and that need to produce, are starting to produce. So you're getting that timely hitting mixed with some really good defense aside from a few outliers. And the pitching is obviously coming along, too. Eduardo Rodriguez, who the Mariners won't see, and that's a good thing for the Mariners because he's been putting up huge numbers for the Tigers, really, really low ERA. And he had another shutout win in Cleveland in this last series. So um, really things just are shaping up for the Tigers and we're seeing a little bit more than what the expectations might've been through this last stretch of game. Yeah. You bring up Eduardo Rodriguez and the start he's gotten off to Daniela. And I I mean, just looking at the numbers, it is eye popping and especially the numbers that he's put up uh, over the last couple of weeks too. I mean, gosh, he's, only given up what like three run where he's given up one run since what april 12th that's stupid how, yes. how do you even do yes. that that's crazy. that's insane i don't know it's crazy it's crazy but this is the guy that the tigers wanted to bring in when they brought eduardo rodriguez onto the pitching staff they wanted an ace and they're getting their ace right now so this is great for the tigers especially with injuries to the guys like casey mize and Tarek scubel the young pitching staff not being on the mound it's great that eduardo rodriguez is kind of taking that charge Another guy who's going to be on the mound uh, for the Tigers this weekend. They gladly, the Mariners gladly get a skip over Eduardo Rodriguez. But Matt Boyd, yeah. uh, who was a member of this Mariners team a year ago, getting to play for his hometown team and getting to play for them uh, maybe at the coolest time in Mariners history over the last couple decades, ending the playoff drought. Uh, he's the scheduled starter for Detroit on Friday. What's it been like for him coming back to play for the Tigers after a season away? Well, I can tell you this. Tigers fans love Matt Boyd. We love him in Detroit. Very happy to have him here on another year deal to see where that goes for him. I think the thing with Matt Boyd right now is he struggled with a lot of injuries over the past couple of seasons, and he's trying to get back to the Matt Boyd that we know. We've seen some decent starts from him. The longest he's gone is five and two-thirds innings. His ERA is a little high right now, so I'm sure he would want to bring that down. But I think he's still trying to find his best stuff, and that's 
exactly what he's going to be looking to do here in this start with the Mariners is get back on track and get to the Matt Boyd that we know. But off the mound, off the field, Matt Boyd is is great. We love his family. We're very happy to have him back as a Tiger. Yeah, he is. Uh, he was only here for a short time, Daniela, but right, he yeah. very much endeared himself to the fan base, and it was really cool seeing uh, him post. I think on Instagram a picture of him at then Safeco Field wearing a Mariners jersey as a little kid and uh, getting to play. So yeah, Matthew Boyd, a, a huge fan favorite wherever he goes. Uh, we we're we're excited that he's back starting in in baseball because dealing with all those injuries that's never fun. But glad to see him back the, out there on the mound for the Tigers, Daniela. Bruce of the Detroit Tigers joining us here on Extra Innings. And, Daniela, you mentioned Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, both guys debuting last season, getting off to slow starts in their career. I think that's something that Mariners fans can kind of identify with, uh, you know, graduating prospects to the big league level and maybe not seeing the returns right away. I think Jared Kelnick is a guy that obviously over the last couple of years had struggled for the Mariners, but has turned it on this season. Uh, you mentioned that both those guys kind of having a, a better stretch here. Uh, what are expectations for them in, in year two? Because last year it kind of felt just from the outside that the, both those guys kind of fell short of what a lot of prospect uh, scouts, a lot of insiders in baseball kind of thought they were capable of. And I think that's totally fair, and I think Tigers fans feel exactly the same way. And maybe the expectations were set too high. Obviously, for a guy like Spencer Torkelson, who's a 1-1 pick, you're expecting the world of him, right? And he's taken a very good approach to just getting better in the batter's box, looking at the pitches that he needs to swing, choosing his pitches a little bit better, and you're seeing the results of that now. His defense at first base has been incredible. This is no knock on any of the Tigers' other infielders, but he's had to scoop some crazy balls out of the dirt this year to get out that first base. And he's just been very, very good there defensively. And I think that is a super bright side of his game. And now you're starting to see the hitting trending. He's 338 in the last 15 with seven RBIs. So he's starting to get better at the plate. And Riley Green is also doing the same. Again, his defense in center field has been spectacular this season. He's made some great plays out there so nothing to complain about in that sense but I think the key for both of them this year is finding the consistency right you don't want to be going up and down and up and down and going through stretches where you know you're over 30 at the plate you want to find that consistency and you want to be producing and finding those timely hits and I think that's what everyone's looking for from the two of them this year and you got to remember how young they are 22 years old I think Spencer Torkelson's 20 so just very young and trying to figure out their way through the big leagues. And the numbers that we've seen and the improvements that we've seen so far are really encouraging. Daniela, how much pressure is there on A.J. Hinch right now in Detroit? Two seasons, two below 500 seasons to start his managerial mm -hmm. tenure in Detroit. They're off to the 17-19 and 19 start, but things have looked better here in the month of May. Is there pressure on him to deliver a winner this season? Um, I wouldn't say there's pressure to the point where he's like on the hot seat or anything like that. But obviously, Tigers fans are hungry for a winner. And at this point, the expectations heading into last season might have been a little too high for Tigers fans, everybody in the city of Detroit. And now I think we're back to that reality where if the Tigers can produce at a higher rate than we're expecting this year, I think everyone will be really excited about that. And A.J. Hinch has done a great job managing this lineup and figuring out the matchups through each game and with each pitcher. And it's really working in his favor right now. And I think he's doing a great job with that. He's working with some young talent that is trying to develop. And he's working with some great pitching staff here, too. And obviously, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of that pitching staff that is injured right now. And he's done a great job of 
finding the right bullpen guys and putting that together. Alex Lang has really uh, jumped out as a closer now. He's doing a great job in that role. So I think, of course, there's a little pressure on any manager who wants to bring a team back to their winning ways, right? But I don't think it's any sort of hot seat type scenario. I think he's doing a great job right now. And if the Tigers can finish above where they were expected, and let's be honest, the AL Central is not a strong division this year. If the Tigers can make some noise in that division, this could be a really exciting season. Daniela, uh, one name that draws a lot of groans from Mariners fans is Spencer Turnbull, <laughs> who no-hit them oh, yeah. a couple seasons ago. Oh, yeah. uh, he missed all of last season uh, undergoing Tommy John surgery. Had a rough go of it this season, just kind of or to start the season, I should say. Uh, what are the expectations for him? Because, I mean, before he got injured in 2021, he was putting together some pretty good seasons. Yeah, and again, he's going to spend some time in Toledo probably developing that. Alex Fiedo has the call-up right now, which the Mariners are projected to see on Saturday, right? Um, so I think the thing for Spencer Turnbull, again, I talked about consistency with some of the hitters. It's also the same for Spencer Turnbull. You see flashes of that guy who no-hit the Mariners. You see flashes of the Spencer Turnbull before Tommy John surgery. So it's there, but coming back from Tommy John is no joke, and we all know that. So he's got to find that again and be able to produce on a more consistent basis. I think we'll see him again very soon, and I, I think he's going to get back to that that guy that we know because, like I said, we've seen those flashes. He just needs some time to adjust back to the MLB level and, and make sure that his stuff is as good as we've seen it before. Now, Daniela, I, I was scrolling through your Twitter account, and I, I saw something that really caught my eye, and it was – Oh you're no! Do, you're, this no be it, really good or really it's, bad? It's actually it's really good. It, it is. Uh, you're doing a, a retrospective podcast on Miguel Cabrera's career. Is that correct? I am. Yes. So what it is is a six part, five part series. Excuse me. That highlights different milestones through Miguel Cabrera's career, and it runs on our local affiliate here that runs Tiger Games ninety seven. Won the ticket, and it will also be on the Odyssey app for anybody to be able to log on and listen to. Um, but it, it goes through his career. So episode one was the discovery of Miguel Cabrera, which was a really cool episode for me to do. All of it is because Miguel Cabrera, to me, I was a fan for most of Miguel Cabrera's career. I was a Tigers fan. I absolutely loved him. He's iconic in the city of Detroit. So to be able to work with the people who impacted his career so much, all of the scouts that were down in Venezuela that found a 15 and a half year old kid that turned out to be Miguel Cabrera. It was an incredible story. And we're going to continue that talk about his, um, MVP seasons, his triple crown, obviously, his rookie season in Miami where he wins the World Series, just a lot of great moments for Miguel Cabrera. And it, it's a really cool project to be assigned to this year. And I'm excited to share those stories with baseball fans in general, because we know that Miguel Cabrera is loved all around Major League Baseball. He definitely is one of the best personalities in the game. I will definitely be uh, playing that in my headphones uh, once I'm done here tonight, uh, hosting extra innings. And Daniela, really appreciate you joining us. She is Daniela Bruce, reporter for the Detroit Tigers. You can follow her on Twitter at Daniela Bruce underscore. And Daniela, really appreciate you hopping on tonight and uh, have a good time covering this series. Thank you so much for having me. Still plenty to get to in this hour. We cap it off as we do every time in the 8 p.m. hour with a round of pepper, looking at some of the biggest headlines around Major League Baseball. Also, Scott Service sat down with Seattle Sports yesterday. We'll take a glimpse into that conversation. But up next, Ryan Roland Smith joined Bump and Stacy earlier today to talk about his concern level with a group of Mariner players right now. 
and haven't been playing up to expectations. We take a listen to that conversation around the break. Here on Mariners Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Tons of great Mariners programming throughout the week here on Seattle Sports. You've got the dugout Tuesdays from 1 to 2. You've got Jeff Passon, same day with Brock and Salk. You've got Ryan Roland-Smith, who appears every Monday with Wyman and Bob, and then every Thursday at 11 a.m. with Bump and Stacy. Today was his day to come up, and he, he was asked his concern level about a certain number of Mariners, guys who have not played to expectations to start this season. And they started the conversation with one Julio Rodriguez because where else would you start right now? He's the face of the team and has not played to expectations so far. Dropped down to sixth in the order. What is Ryan's concern level with Julio right now? Let's take a listen. Uh, I'd say I'd say low. Okay. I'd say medium low. Uh, the reason why is because he's just too athletic. He really is. Like he hit a ball yesterday for an out in left field. And it's like, yeah, he's good. He's yeah. he's fine. It, it's one of these things, man. You go through it, and there is a little bit of that pressing. And I, you know, I said this during the game yesterday um, on the TV side. I said that obviously the expectations have changed. This time last year, numbers were a little bit better, but we saw some struggles last year. But it was just a different scenario. Last year you viewed him in, as a, a young uh prospect that has a really high ceiling but you weren't quite sure so that's how teams kind of viewed him they they said oh there's a few holes here now all of a sudden the expectations especially for him personally and the team and fans and uh, opposition is no no he's one of the best players in the game and so the it's it's just a little different like the weight's a little different so i i think that watching him and how he handles things and even when he is going through these struggles how he demeanor and his makeup I, that's why my concern's really low. And just watching the way the ball still comes off his bat, mm-hmm. uh, bat regardless of the results, just got to cut down that swing and miss just a little bit. He's got to get that just that extra mistake or that one pitch per at bat that he can lay off and, and get something that back you know, inside that little white box you watch on the TV. How did you feel about him being moved um, in the order? I, I kind of liked it. I thought, man, service can only control what he can control. And that's something he has input on. Um, and I thought it would give Julio just a chance to reflect, see some pitches, get to know the pitcher a bit, and, and go out there and swing away. Yeah, I, I didn't wasn't too concerning. I've, I yeah, it's interesting because they in the last couple of years Scott Service they shuffle the the lineup up more than any other team. Really, when you look at yeah, teams around and and you go back through the last decade. When you have your, your, your core players, your, your, your big bats, you don't really move them. I mean, no one's moving David Ortiz out of that third spot, regardless of who's hitting fourth, if it was Manny Ramirez and someone beyond that. I think with, with the, the Mariners, I mean, you'd see Mitch Hanniger get up in that leadoff spot at some point in years past. You'd see different guys in different spots. So I think in the case with Julio Rodriguez, you look at that and say, okay, one, and Scott Service even said this too. It's like you said, bump, give him a breather and give him a chance to sit on that dugout in that first inning. When you are coming in and that one out of your four at-bats, you haven't seen a pitch yet, especially yesterday against you know, Dane Dunning, who haven't seen a whole lot of, and you're coming up and you have all these thoughts in your head, as opposed to sitting on the bench, watching kind of how guys get sequenced, listening to Ty France when he comes back in the dugout and says, oh, he's throwing this cut fastball. I didn't see the change up or whatever it may be. It just it gives you a little bit of space to breathe. On the flip side, though, what it can do is be like, man, if I'm not hitting right now, and I, I highly doubt this because it's, it's not his persona, but some guys are going to affect, if I'm not hitting, 
and they're sliding me down the sixth spot. Now all of a sudden I have to sort of prove that I should be in that leadoff spot, and that's not a, not a good thing. So I think it's just a temporary give him give him a breath a little bit, let him see some pitches, let him see some at-bats, let him see some sequences, and get back to work. Service has been fielding a lot of questions about whether or not the Mariners are, quote, easy to pitch to. Is that what you see? I think that the, the issue they have, easy to pitch to basically is – you know, is a situation where you swing and miss a ton, mm. right? And you don't walk. So if you're going to swing and miss a lot, you better be able to walk. You better be able to have those six pitch out bats and you better be able to get on base different ways besides using the bat. And, and that's obviously walking. So if you have a lineup that – and you pick a match, right? So if I'm pitching to a team, I kind of have a feeling of, all right, this guy's going to be really aggressive – but he's going to be able to make really good contact. So I have to pitch him a certain way. This guy's a big bopper. If you make a mistake, he's going to make you pay, but he strikes out a ton. And he doesn't walk. So I'm going to get that extra. I'm going to expand the strike zone. They're the guys who are easier to pitch to. And the problem is, I think, with the Mariners right now, you kind of have the the, the biggest swing and miss bats all sort of bunched together. You've got Gino Suarez, Teoscar Hernandez, and, and Cal Raleigh even. Guys, the, the highest swing and miss with with not as much of the, the base on ball – Gino's gotten a little bit, little bit better last couple of days. They're sort of bunched together. So you have that sort of that dead spot at the moment where if you're not getting that mistake and you are um, over the middle of the plate and you're not getting that ball hit, well, man, it, it's way easier to cut through the middle of that lineup. There have been um, some guys who can swing at pitches outside of the zone. Always look at Jordan Alvarez. And, I mean, you put it anywhere, he, he can get a piece of it and it can yeah. go. Is there anyone on this team like that? Because we are chasing, so these guys must feel like they can get to these pitches, right? Uh, Ty France, definitely. Ty, Ty France is a guy that can that can get to that pitch outside the strike zone. But for the most part, you know, it's 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 not you're not going to have a whole lot of success if you continue to do that. So, like, you know, in two strike counts or situations where the pitcher is going to expand. Uh, having the ability to make contact. And there, there was a little bit of that. Even if you're not hitting the ball hard, if you're fouling the pitch off, you know, it can make you pull your hair out. And that's when you get exhausted and that's where you end up making mistakes. So it's not a situation where, all right, so like I said, Ty France, probably one of the best, you know, bat-to-ball um, hitters in the game. Best guy in regards to making contact outside of the strike zone. I haven't got the list in front of me right now, but he, he that's one of his, part of his skill set. Mm. But at the same time, it's not it's not really that element of success. You're not going to have success if you continue to do that. So what it does, if you do have the ability to do that, to spoil certain pitches, and I don't know if you guys remember yesterday, late in that game, you know, there was two at-bats there. There was, you know, um, there was Gino and, and Cal Raleigh who, who ha- actually were showing the ability to do that, and then Cal Raleigh ultimately he struck out. But um, when you do that, what happens is from a pitcher standpoint, not because you just give in, but at some point, they're going to. The more pitches they can spoil, the more pitches they can get to, the easier pitches are to, to recognize. So at some point, they're going to lay off that pitch, and at some point, you're going to have to throw a mistake, uh, throw a pitch over the middle, and that's what that's when you get hit. So Jordan Alvarez, for example, he anything in the the, the best um, result he has is balls inside the strike zone, 100. percent but he still has the ability, those pitches that are on the edges, to make really hard contact, mm-hmm. which is really rare. But just for a little bit of a, of a um, 
you know, a guy who can still get to those pitches, not going to have the best results, but it forces mistakes. Random pitching question. This one um, about Castillo. I was listening to your analysis of him yesterday, and and you were like, look, he's using his slider a bit more. He's having yeah. trouble locating that fastball. And it wasn't like a bad day overall. He still had nine strikeouts, allowed three runs. But for a great pitcher, it was, I'm sure, a frustrating day for him. If you're a guy that's like, hey, you're just not locating the fastball that day, like, what do you do? Like, what's your approach? Yeah, it's 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 tough because everything comes off that fastball, right? Yeah. So, so for um, and you and he barely, rarely shows frustration, but you see mm-hmm. before the camera cuts away, kind of snatching that ball. I said it once. I didn't want to harp on it too much because you don't want to be, you know, a downer when you're t- calling right. the game. But I was watching. I was like, man, he is getting so frustrated right now. The way he was spinning off mechanically and everything. So when you don't have, and it was it was interesting, you mentioned the fact he threw the slider more and, and he did, which was interesting. Maybe it's something he just, he felt better with, with that slider in regards to secondary pitches. But when you don't have that fastball command, you just have to find ways in big um, swing counts. And what I mean by swing counts, I don't mean like swing either way. I mean swing is in, hitter is going to be really aggressive on this pitch. And so with him, I think that yeah, inning after inning, there was a moment there after the third inning, he came back out and he just had a better, he just had better placement, better command of that fastball, um, whether it was on, you know, inside or out, but especially at the top of the strike zone. So one thing with him, when you're watching him pitch, he doesn't have, he, how he lives at the top of the strike zone, not to nerd out here or anything like that. Bryce Miller can get away with a mistake in the middle of the plate because he has really high spin. So the ball defies gravity longer. It gets above the barrel. Hitters are thinking it's on that certain trajectory and it stays above that trajectory they think it's on and he gets that swing and miss. Well, with Luis Castillo, as good as he is, he doesn't have that. He has pretty average four-seam spin rate. So his command is his command has to be, in order to get those swings and misses, has to be on the top part of that plate. He cannot survive when it's 95, 96 middle with that fastball, if it's a swing count, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not, again, not to get too crazy here with spin rates. and No, and, it's exactly what we want to hear. I mean, right. it's why you're perfect for that question. It's like, well, what do you, you know, like, what are what are batter seeing what do yeah. pitchers do and, and you look at you look at you know his edge percentage again i don't want to geek out here the edge percentage in the first you know two to three starts compared to now last couple starts cuz he struggled man like last couple starts i know he's gotten a lot of punch outs but he's had to battle to get his way yeah. Through five innings, and a big reason for that is a lot of soft the foul balls getting to pitches that they can at least foul off and spoiling pitches like we talked about you know, on, on the on the offensive side. So you're, you're seeing a boatload of pitches in these big innings because he just hasn't been able to get that have that same command we saw the first couple times out uh, in April. I always think that um, batting leadoff is tough, man. I oh, mean, yeah. you, you're just thrown out there. You don't really get the feel of what the pitcher has or doesn't have on that day. What type of leadoff batters have the most success? Like, what's their approach? What makes them have that success? Well, I think that the it's look it it's a good point too because people just think, oh yeah, you know, the the profile of a, of a leadoff hitter is someone who can you you want to you want to get on base now. Back in the day, you go back even you know five years ago, it was that fast, good contact type guy who can run a little bit, get on base and and create havoc. The, the profile's changed a little bit now where it's more, I don't care if you're fast or not, just get on base. And 
then there's another sort of trend towards, okay, Julio Rodriguez is the best all-round hitter. He's not one-dimensional. Put him in the leadoff spot. Give him the most at-bats. And so there's a couple of these different factors. But the guys who and, – and, and again, you've seen this. Sometimes you may see a guy with some speed or, or more contact, but they just never lead off because they just struggle with it. I've talked to players before saying, I hate leading off. It is the worst. I need to – Feel the rhythm of the game. I need to watch that pitcher. He's, he's timing and sequencing mechanically to get that rhythm when I walk up to hit. I need to stand on the on-deck circle that first at-bat um, before I get up to hit. All these things. And so the guys who can do it are just the guys who are super comfortable coming up. They have that feeling. They don't have to be aggressive, but they have that feeling like, you know what, I'm going to see the ball middle, and I'm going to go straight ambush mode on, the, on this guy. And so it, it's a certain mentality you have to have as a leadoff hitter, and it's tough. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with DHing too. You talk to guys who hate DHing; they have to play in the field because they they have they can't sit on the bench in between our bats. It's just too long. It's too much over processing on the hitting. They have to be distracted by having to take care of business on the field in between um, in between our bats. So I think that, that it, it has to you have to have a certain mentality to do it. Uh, okay, so we have three, two more minutes with you here, Ryan. I wanted to take a look ahead uh, to either try to end on uh, on something fun for the weekend or yeah. to <laughs> even just look ahead to the Detroit series. So uh, the Mariners are hitting the road for a three-series East Coast road trip. It begins with a series against the Tigers, second in the AL Central, though, as we know, that doesn't say a ton. Uh, they are 17th in team ERA, so um, I'm not sure yet the starters that they're going to have scheduled, but is there a chance potentially for the Mariners' offense to, to kind of get going a bit here? Yeah, I think so. Because, again, regardless of what you see from you know, the, the, the AL Central, uh, obviously they're facing their buddy uh, Matt Boyd yeah. tomorrow. But then on top of that, I think what they need is, is young pitching guys that can get on the ropes. So I think I said this to you last week. In, in Oakland, that sparked their offense because they had, regardless of, oh, he throws 97, he's a huge prospect, doesn't matter. When you can ha- have the kind of offense that they want to have the foundation, and that's those long grinding at bats. You've got to say that word all the time. And you want to get some rookie, some young pitcher on the ropes. You want to get him where he cannot land that breaking ball. And then he's going to try and get you to chase. He falls into that 3-1 count. And then you take another pitch. He's like, oh man, this is exhausting. That's what they need. So I think this Detroit series, sure, there's a couple candidates where they can really, a starting pitching that they could do that for sure. Just a little bit longer to go here on Extra Innings. We're with you till 9pm. We've got the biggest headlines in base Baseball, some of the most eye-catching ones coming up in Pepper. But before we get to that, Scott Service, he joined Seattle Sports yesterday to talk about everything going on with this Mariners ball club. We'll dive into that conversation next. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Extra Innings here on the Mariners Radio Network in Seattle Sports. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Scott Service has had plenty to talk about over the season's first 37 games. He joined Brock and Salk yesterday prior to the Mariners' series finale against the Rangers to talk about everything going on with this team, specifically the pitching, because the pitching has been tremendous to start this season, as we talked about earlier. Fan graphs has them leading all of baseball in war. What is it like coaching this pitching staff? What's it like potentially facing this pitching staff? Obviously, Scott Service playing in a different era, but this pitching staff has been one of the brightest spots, not just on this Mariners team, but in all of baseball this year. What is it about them that makes them so tough, and could he even face them? Could he even get 
contact off them back in his playing days? Oh, gosh, that is a tough question. Every one of our guys has got some stuff that I could not touch for sure. But, uh, you know, that's the beauty of our staff. They're all unique. They all do it a little bit differently. You know, we saw Logan just dominate the other night with the high fastball and the big curveball and, you know, the fastball really getting on guys. We know how George does it with the, the command of the two seam, the four seam, the breaking ball. You know, Luis Castillo does it from the different arm slot and, the, and just a totally different look from a right-handed pitcher. And then we're getting a quick glimpse of Bryce Miller and what he's got to fire out there. So, um, and then Marco is totally different than all of them. So it's really a fun staff to watch pitch every day. You know, when we take the field, you feel good about who we're sending out there. He's going to keep us in the game, and they have. They have given us a chance to win pretty much every game that we walk on the field. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, we need to get our offense going. Um, it will get going. I'm very confident in this group. Um, it is not clicking yet. We're starting to see some guys come out of it. I think Ty France has really swung the bat well on this homestand, kind of getting back at what we're used to seeing out of Ty. But there's other guys that, you know, haven't found their stride yet, but they will. Uh, I feel very confident about that. We'll get to the, the bats here in a minute, but let me just ask you one more about Kirby, who was so good last night. And, and since Brock brought up the Cubs, whenever I watch him, I just see so much of Mark Pryor. Just with you mentioned the repeatability yesterday after the start, and I just see the ease with which he throws. It just, I, I don't know, when I watch him, it seems like he could pitch forever. It does. It, it, um, he is. He can repeat his delivery as good as any young pitcher I think I've ever been around. And his ability to do that allows for the awesome command, you know, getting the ball on the edges and and pitching just off the edges when he needs to. And I don't think George gets enough credit for the competitor he is. You want to get out of the way on this guy's day to pitch. He'll tear your head out and rip your heart out. (laughs) Uh, he, He wants to win. He wants to go deep in the ball game and, um, he's just been throwing great, and his stuff continues to get better. Some nights the breaking balls are better than than others, but uh, last night he had it all going on, and it was fun to watch. Is there something about those young guys all wanting to not necessarily one-up one another by any means, but they're kind of, obviously, Logan and George have come up together largely in this, and now you throw Bryce into the mix that, hey, man, whatever they can do, I can do better. Is that a healthy, fun competition to watch? I think it really is. I mean, competition's good no matter where it happens. With amongst your team, that's even better. Uh, guys trying to one up each other. I think we saw a little bit of that back in the the Braves' heyday. And I'm not putting our guys in that bucket yet, but you know those pitchers, the Braves, right out there with Smoltz and, and Glavin and Maddox and the guys they had were super competitive amongst themselves. Our guys got a long way to go to get to that status, but they carry a lot of the same traits. You know, they don't want to let the team down. Today's their day. They want to step up. They want to go seven innings and keep us right there. And that's a good good problem to have. So it's been fun to watch. Scott, on the other side of it with the bats, and you mentioned that some guys are starting to come out of it, which is great. We talk to Jerry every week, and we've used the word pressing to talk about, you know, how some of these guys have, what their approaches looked like at times. What does that word mean to you, pressing? Well, I think, you know, if you go through, it's not a blanket you could just throw on the whole group. I think everybody's situation is a little bit different. Um, You know, some guys, you know, getting out of their approach a little bit, trying to do a little bit too much. Um, Some guys not just looking what the game's calling for in that moment based on the score, based on the runners on base, based on who the pitcher is on the mound. 
you know, trying to do a little too much, but just do what the game is calling for uh, at that moment. Sometimes it's just about, you know, getting your pitch or maybe taking a walk to get an inning started. Um, other guys, maybe it's a little bit of mechanical issue on the timing. So you can't just throw a blanket over the whole group, even though it's easy to do that. I think you have to treat everybody individually, and that's what we try to do here. I think we do a pretty good job of it. So it has been a lot of discussions, just talking with guys, getting feedback from them and where they think they're at. Some of these guys have been through struggles before in the past. Teoscar Hernandez is, is a notorious slow starter. He's been through this before. Um, and just getting a chance to talk with him yesterday and, and where he's at and then throwing my two cents in there and what I'm seeing. And, you know, the guys are receptive, but they're also getting it from a lot of different avenues. So you don't want to, you know, just pound these guys over and over and over. You need to give them a chance to breathe. Uh, you know, we're getting that point in the season. Uh, guys are willing to make some adjustments. You know, we need to see it play out on a consistent basis. They're all capable. They wouldn't be given this opportunity if they weren't capable of doing it. A lot of our guys have track record, and I, I fully expect they'll get it back, you know, going again here. So so what does that look like from your perspective when you talk about some of those conversations? I think fans imagine at times that a manager goes in and tells a player what they want, and then that's the end of it. I want you to hit like this. I want you to take this approach. <laughs> I'm guessing that's not really the way it works. So what what is that what does that look like from a managerial or even a coaching perspective for for your guys under, you know, under you? Well, I think when you have those discussions, I always try to put myself in the player's shoes, and I was in those shoes. I had many seasons where I was struggling for stretches of time, and you know, I try to go back and lean on the things that I thought helped me or resonated with me. Every player is different. You know, I'm not going to, you know, talk with Julio the same way I would talk with Ty and JP. They're just at different points in their career and, and they understand, you know, maybe their swing or their approach a little bit differently. So you really have to be individualized. You cannot just say, okay, here's how I did it. You need to start doing it this way. Or these are what the numbers say. You need to start doing this better. The players know. They know they're struggling. And, and you know, our job is just try to relieve some of the pressure, try to get them relaxed a little bit and get them in the happy place. Uh, this is a really hard game. And I think people forget that at times. You know, the best players in our game, they fail more than they succeed on the offensive side. So the, the mental toughness to, to grind through a bad stretch really is the separator on big league players over the course of their career. We've got some awesome guys here. We've got some really good players. Uh, it just you know, quite hasn't clicked yet. It will. You know, we're not even at the 40-game mark yet. And, and I always talk about, well, let's see where we're at 40 games into this. And you kind of get a feel for where you're at. I look at some of the bright sides, you know, Jose Caballero, this is a guy that like really wasn't even on the map. We saw a little bit in spring training. He's had some injuries. He comes up. He's played great. He's been a nice little shot in the arm for us. There's some bullpen guys that just out of nowhere have fit in perfectly and they've adjusted to our program and what we do. So a lot of bright spots here, but we know we can still get better. And that's the focus here is, you know, we got to get better every day. Scott, it is a really hard game, yet Julio last year as a rookie made it look very, very easy for months and months and months in the home run derby. And it's been a little tougher stretch here after the first couple weeks of the season. Where is Julio at in your estimation right now? You know, he's exactly where he was last year at this point. (laughs) If you want to look at the numbers, uh, he's off to a slow start. It started to click for him about this time. Um, you know, Julio is frustrated. He has very, very high expectations for himself, and nobody cares about the team's success, uh, maybe more than Julio, you know, on our team, and, and he's, he's wearing that a little bit. So, you know, just trying to, to relieve, you know, some of the pressure. Just be Julio. I say it to our guys all the time, just be you. And uh, right now he's trying to be a little bit more than that, um, and it's a very high bar uh, that he put, in, put out there last year. He wants to be at that level every day. It's not clicking for him right now. 
the talent is still there, the want to, the work ethic, the you know, the being a good teammate, all those things are still there. You know, you just got to you know slow it down a little bit. I'd love to see him take a few hits in the right center field because I know that's when Julio's at his best. He'll get there. I, I fully expect him to get there. I think it might start today. I'd like that. I'm yeah. down with that. Yeah, make, make it start today. I, so I guess that means he's in the lineup today. Is J.P. Crawford back? Do we have a lineup yet for today? Yeah, we're waiting to hear on a couple guys yet. Kind of a late post of our lineup. I'm, I'm hoping, fingers crossed. I think J.P.'s going to be okay today. We've got a couple other guys that are a little banged up. So we're going to put up a late lineup today, but 1240 game. Uh, are you guys coming out today? I will be there for sure. Yes. Oh, You're yeah, going to smell yeah, salt. I'll be able to, be able to yes. smell you. I'm going to be just to your left. You sit there. I'm going to be in the Diamond Club today. I got the big seats. Oh, no. We got a client. <laughs> I plan to be heckling you. And uh, yeah, you should smell me, I would think from where you're at. Uh, when you say guys are banged up, let me guess. One of them is Jared Kelna because he keeps diving and bumping into just about everything. I-, I know that his offense has been talked about nonstop. How, how good has his defense been this year? Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, it really has, you know, his defense on the corners, right field, left field, the throwing arm has gotten way better as far as the accuracy. He's always had a great arm, but he's, he's very accurate with his throws. He's super aggressive out there, and you see it diving for balls, banging in the walls, making plays. Um, he's having fun. That's the biggest thing and, and with Jared. And you know, the guy's joking in the clubhouse, happy Jared. We're seeing happy Jared about every day. It's just a different you know, mentality of what he's playing with. Even after a couple of rough at-bats, you know, he's up there. He's okay. He understands it's, it's a long grind, and he's learned a lot the last few years. And it, it, it's, sometimes you have to go through those growing pains. And he's in a great spot. He's been fun to watch. He's been fun to be around. And he's playing great defense on top of it. One segment to go here on Extra Innings. It's time for a round of pepper, taking a look at some of the biggest headlines in all of baseball that comes your way right after this break. I'm Curtis Rogers here on the Mariners Radio Network in Seattle Sports. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Really appreciate you making Extra Innings a part of your Thursday evening here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. If you missed any portion of it, make sure you're downloading the podcast at seattlesports.com or on the Seattle Sports app. One last segment to go here on Extra Innings, and boy, the New York Mets are having a really rough go of it right now. They lost earlier today, getting shut out for the seventh time this season. They are 18-20 and 20 on the year. Now, obviously the big story about them is their payroll and just how how crazy it is compared to other teams' payrolls, or at least just the difference between payroll number one and payroll number two in Major League Baseball. And I'm not going to make this about, you know, an anti-spending, you know, oh, don't don't spend. You've, you've locked yourself up for years and years and years. Like, I'm not turning this into that. But it is wild to see a team go all in as much as they have on this season, and especially after last year where they won more than 100 ball games in a season uh, just kind of add on top of what they did a year ago and get off to such a slow start here. Uh, things are really starting to pile up for the Mets right now. Buck Walter, this was him after the game today, asked about uh, his team's performance in their shutout loss to the Cincinnati Reds. Seventh time I believe you were shut out. And is that an alarming number at all? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's, it's falls underneath the it's, – it's, it's, it's obvious. You know, when you don't score runs, it's impossible to win a game. You know, if, if Singa had pitched to, you know, uh, <laughs> put up zeros, we'd, we'd still be playing. But, you know, we didn't. It's a tough It's tough on everybody. You know, but the guys care, and they're very uh, 
you know, frustrated by it. Yeah, I mean, as he said, when you don't score runs, it's impossible to win a ball game. Yeah, very well said, Buck Showalter. Uh, the Mets, eighteen and twenty on the season. They have gotten very little contribution from Max Scherzer and also from Justin Verlander, two guys who they were banking uh, big hopes on this year. Scherzer with an ERA of five five six, and Verlander has made just what one. He's made two starts this season, going twelve innings pitched, and those are two guys who they were expecting probably two hundred plus innings out of both of them. Uh, you look at the rest of their starting pitching. Kodai Senga has been he's been okay to start this season. Tyler McGill uh, also pretty good, but uh, David Peterson has been a, a disaster in their starting rotation. A seven six eight ERA. Joey Lacasey a four four three ERA. They don't have Edwin Diaz at the end of ball games this year to to lock things down. Uh, David Robertson has looked really good as as a closer for them though this season with a .59 ERA. But uh, yeah, that Mets team. Uh, off to a very slow start, especially with the arms. Offensively, they've been pretty good. I mean, Pete Alonso hitting the way he does, Brandon Nimmo hitting the way he does. Uh, you know, Lindor has left a little bit to be desired with the bat this season. But uh, I mean, boy, this Mets team—they have put so much, so many resources into the 2023 season, and uh, it has not gone their way to start the season. Speaking of a team that where nothing has gone their way. That'd be the St. Louis Cardinals, and uh, it's really starting to boil over. We saw Tyler O'Neill earlier this season kind of get into a public spat with his manager, Ollie Marmel. That was at the beginning part of the season. We've seen Wilson Contreras get into it with uh, the pitching staff with the St. Louis Cardinals to where they are now de-aging him most nights. There was a, a thought that maybe they would move him to the outfield. Now, Jack Flaherty... Cardinals presumed ace he has at times been their best pitcher in in years past but right now he is not having some fun uh and don't ask him about his fastball velocity uh whatever it is that you do do not ask him about it the Cardinals media in attendance yesterday uh following their game asked him about it and he was none too pleased the next time somebody wants to mention the velocity of my fastball just I'm not gonna answer another question about like I'm going to play with the velocity of my fastball based on what the game calls for. So I, I can get outs at 90, I can get outs at 95. Like it's like I'm going to play with it. I've always played with it. I've, I've thrown freaking fastballs at 87 before in games when I've been at my best. Like I'm not answering questions on, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying because y'all want to make a big deal out of it and I'm tired of it. Like I'm not like, – it's so ridiculous. Like I'm, I've thrown – I've – I'm going to go for what the game calls for. And that's that's part of pitching. So if you want to ask about it, you don't understand the art of pitching. You just don't understand, man. You don't understand the art of pitching. He sounds like a teenager that's been asked one too many times, like, hey, how's your day? He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine, okay? Ugh. Get off my back. That's what Jack Flaherty sounds like. Uh, he gets into it a little bit more with uh, Derek Gould, who covers the team for the St. Louis News Tribune. Uh, here is, uh, or the St. Louis Tribune, I should say, here is what uh, a little more of that back and forth between Flaherty and the Cardinals reporters. I'm going to go with what it, the situation calls for, what the game calls for. But you have to manage pitch counts. You have to manage the way that the game goes. Like, 
there's certain times where you up it and you're gonna now you're gonna start seeing four five six and there's certain times you might be able to be like okay here you know okay we you know situation calls for you bump it back up it's just that's the way the game goes so you so you that's that's the way that you go about the game we don't know that unless we ask jack we don't know well then you don't understand pitching and that's okay say that again i'm sorry i'm sorry um, you, you said I don't understand pitching. That's that, that's the way that. No, it's, we, we just don't feel like we should guess. We want your answer so we can quote you and give it to the fans. Okay, Derek. Whatever you said. Jack Flaherty had my. You just don't understand pitching. Like you'll never you'll never get it. You'll you'll never get it. That's why we're asking the questions, Jack. That's why we're asking the questions to try and understand your process. To try and understand what's going on with your fastball velocity. Like, they're not trying to, you know, say they know more about pitching than you do, obviously. You're a Major League Baseball pitcher, but it's weird. It's so weird to see the St. Louis Cardinals have this much uh, public beef just to have this much dysfunction because they have always been the beacon of stability across Major League Baseball. I can never remember a time in my lifetime and even prior to my lifetime where they have been sort of the laughing stock of baseball. They have always consistently been a winner. Even in their down years, they still win, you know, like 81, 82, 83 games. This year, they have been just terrible this season. They're 13 and 25 in a National League Central that prior to this season, they were thought to run away with that division. It was going to be them and Milwaukee in a two-horse race with Cincinnati, Chicago, and Pittsburgh just kind of you know bringing up the rear and, and not even really competing. You had the Cubs kind of in the middle part of their rebuild here. The Reds are continuing to tear it down. And the Pirates, uh, they're kind of in a weird spot too where they were adding some pieces. They extended Brian Reynolds, but really they just don't have as much as other teams. Now, look, the Pirates have been ice cold as of late. They've dropped 9 of 10. The Brewers have dropped 8 of 10. And yet, those two teams are still atop the National League Central. The the Cardinals have dropped 7 of 10. Like, this is just bad baseball being played in the National League Central right now. And I can't believe that the St. Louis Cardinals are as bad as they are, considering how good they were a year ago, making it to the postseason, and, and looking at just the names on, the, on this team. Paul Goldschmidt, the reigning National League MVP. A, a big portion of why they've struggled this season is obviously Nolan Arenado. OPSing just 620 over 36 games with three home runs. Uh, you've got other guys on this team. You know, Tyler O'Neill with just two home runs this season. He's got a negative war. Uh, Lars Newbar has been really good in the outfield, but outside of those guys, uh, it has been a struggle for them this season. Very odd. Kind of reminds me of like when the San Antonio Spurs were going through it with uh, Kawhi Leonard, the final, uh, the final couple years that he was in a Spurs uniform that's what this reminds me of right now seeing the seeing the Cardinals with this much dysfunction uh, let's get to a, an uplifting story to to finish out the evening here on extra innings one of the game's very top prospects is getting called up that'd be Marlon starter Yuri Perez he will become the youngest pitcher in Marlins team history surpassing the late Jose Fernandez Perez is a consensus top 10 prospect in baseball always good to see great great talent get promoted to the big leagues and that is pepper that is the biggest headlines in baseball uh this week here 
around Major League Baseball. And I really appreciate you stopping by here on this Thursday evening. Tomorrow, Mariners take on the Tigers to begin a nine-game road trip, three-city road trip, Detroit, Boston, and Atlanta. Marco Gonzalez taking on Matthew Boyd. Pre-game show is going to start at 2.30 p.m. First pitch is scheduled for 3.40 p.m. That's going to do it for me here tonight. I've Curtis Rogers. Got a couple people to thank for this one. For Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com and Daniela Bruce of the Detroit Tigers. This has been Extra Innings. Download the podcast at SeattleSports.com. We'll be back with you next Thursday, the 18th. That's the next Mariner scheduled off day. So be sure to be tuning in from 7 to 9 p.m. on that Thursday. And, uh, yeah, Mariners baseball coming your way tomorrow. That's going to do it for me right here on Extra Innings on the Mariners Radio Network and Seattle Sports.